We're in a brand new year, and so we're starting a new series this morning that we're glad that you're a part of. Uh, it's always good to be part, part of that as we get underway. And um, we're calling it Common Sense. Now, you've all heard the term common sense. It really refers to, to something that um, is, is a practical judgment that, that basically is obvious to everybody. Um, we can apply that in different areas. Let's talk about health. In other words, you don't be a doctor just to know about common sense thing. If you want to be healthy uh, in, in, uh, physically, then you know, you know what the deal is. You need to, to eat right and to exercise and to, to get enough sleep. I mean, that's just common sense. I mean, you don't, you don't have to, to think too hard. Uh, if, if you want to do good in school, if you're a student, you're going to do good in school, um, you got to go to class and uh, take notes and do your homework, and you have to study for test. I mean, that's just common sense. If you don't show up for class, if you don't study, then you're probably not going to do very well. Again, common sense type thing. Uh, marriage, for example, um, you know, as marriage, you spend time together, uh, you listen to each other, and you do things and say things that communicate love to one another. These, again, are just, just common sense things. They, they don't require an expert to figure those things out. They're pretty much self-explanatory. Most people understand those things. But, but here's the problem when we talk about common sense. And that is, and you know this is true, often common sense isn't very common, right? You, you kind of look at these things and you go, man, everybody knows that. And you look and you say, man, I guess they didn't get that. You know, I guess they don't understand that. And so we often say that common sense isn't very common today. And unfortunately, that's a true statement is that many times what, what seems to be obvious really isn't obvious. What, what seems to be a no-brainer seems to be uh, anything but. What seems to be clear, and, and under, everybody should understand it because it's so clear, isn't clear to, to, to many people. And when that happens, the results are not very good. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about common sense, and, and we're going to focus common sense on the area of your finances. Now, I know immediately when I say finances, some of you get really nervous. I mean, some of you guys, you're immediately, you're grabbing your wallet, you know, and you're like thinking, and, and I want you to understand what we're, what we're dealing with. It goes, goes beyond just that. And, um, uh, the, the problem with that is that many times one of the great stresses in people's lives has to do with finances. And as I, as I counsel people, as I counsel couples, usually it's like it's one of two things. When I counsel couples, it's either sex or, or money, okay? Usually those are the two big things there. And money becomes a big thing there uh, because a lot of times we just we don't know what to do with it or we don't know how to handle it, it, it properly. And so... If we could, if we could get a, our minds around that, uh, then it would alleviate some of the stress that we have. We would be able to make better decisions, and we would have fewer regrets. So I don't know about you. I'd like to have fewer regrets in this new year, wouldn't you? I'd like to make some better decisions. I'd like to lower the stress level. And so that's really what the, the, the thrust of the series is, is to help bring that stress level down in your life, to help you make some better choices in your financial decisions, and to, to as at the end of the year, you don't have as, as many regrets. 
But I'm not a financial expert. This is just going to be common sense things. But fortunately for us, what is, good, what is an expert is God. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some biblical common sense principles. And so for the next few weeks, hear what we're going to look at this morning. This morning, we're going to look at the topic of knowing your account balance. Then next week, come back, we're going to talk about securing your assets, then spending wisely, and then investing for the long term. And so not complicated things. I mean, you don't have to be, you know, a, a money market expert to, 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 to get all that done. But, but the Bible really has a lot to say about it. And so we're going to look at it in the Scripture and kind of go through these things that, that I believe will be helpful. So we're going to start out th- this morning talking about knowing your account balance. So let me ask you about a raise of hand. How many of you know how to balance a checkbook? Okay. Now I know some of the young people are like, what's a checkbook, Right. <laughs> And I, ha- you know, as I was thinking about it, I have to admit, I can't remember the last time I wrote a check. You know, um, so many of us, we kind of do the things online banking or we use the ATM card or things of that nature. But the principle is still true. You, there has to be a way of you knowing what you have in, in your account. And of course, you say, well, the bank tells me. Well, how do you know if the bank is right? Bank isn't always right. And so you, it's important for you to know the balance that you have. I literally met a person once that, that when they got their checkbook and stuff, they came and they said, Pastor, I don't understand. I've been, I, I keep being overdrawn in my account. And I said, well, what's the problem? I, they go, I don't know. I still have more checks, you know. And, you know, you would think, man, that's, 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 that's reasonable. Well, no, it's not. And so um, know your account balance is, is a very important thing. Um, if, if you're going to spend, you need to know how much you have to spend, or in a lot of our cases, how much we don't have to spend in that regard. And so what we want to talk about this morning is that balance. How much do you really have? How much do you have in your account? What is really there? And the takeaway that I want us to get as we go through this message here, here's the takeaway you're going to get, is God wants to deposit into your life all that you need. Okay? God really does. He wants to deposit into your life all that you, and, and don't let this word pass you by, need. Not all that you think you want, but all that you need, He wants to deposit into your account. And so we're going to talk about that. So if you have your Bibles, let me urge you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew's Gospel, very first book of the New Testament. Okay, Matthew chapter 6. And as, as Matthew opens this out, it's always a great thing to, to remember Matthew because he was one of the, the, the beginning disciples of, of Jesus uh, there, but he wasn't always a disciple of Jesus. He met Jesus when he was a tax collector. He was a dishonest, hated tax collector who worked for Rome and took advantage of his own people. That's when we were introduced to Matthew. But Matthew, you know, his whole life was wrapped around finances. Now, how to get your finances, that was his, th- his thing. But as Jesus one time began to teach on this subject, immediately because Matthew's background was dealing with finances, he began to pay very close attention. And because of that, Matthew records these words of Jesus that talks about this for us. In fact, in case you don't realize it, 
Jesus spoke more about money and finances than anybody else in the Bible. And so it's pretty important if, if Jesus spoke on it, and if he spoke on it more than anybody else, then, then we would do well to listen to what he has to say. So let's begin. Matthew chapter 6, and let's start in verse 24. And, and here's what Matthew records. Jesus is speaking, and he says this, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon. Okay. Now, contrary to popular opinion, everybody serves a master. So I don't serve a master. Yeah, you serve somebody. Everybody does. Jesus put it this way. He says, either you serve God or you serve mammon. And mammon is just a an old English word that means money. So you're either serving God or you're serving money. You're serving somebody. And, and so that's what he's talking about here. Now, now, the truth is you need both in your life. We need God in our life, amen? But in this world, you also need money. So he's not, not saying you don't need money. You need both of that. But who is the master? Is it God or is it your money? Now, if you're serving money then your account balance is only what you put into it. That's the sum total of your account balance. Whatever you put into it, you work, you invest, you gain, you lose, you spend, and that's all that you have. Whatever you put into it, whatever you take out of it, that is your balance. That's all that there's there. Now, if you serve God, okay, if you have God, your account balance is what you put into it, but it is also what God deposits into it. Big difference than just what you put into it and what God puts into it. And that's what Jesus is trying to bring bring across, is that God wants to add to your account. Okay, God's not, you're thinking, well, God wants to take away. No, God wants to add. He wants to deposit something into your account. So the question again is, Who's your master? Is it God or is it your money? Is it God or is it your money? So he goes on to talk about this. He just kind of drops it down and then he begins to talk about it. And here's what he says in the next verse, verse 25. Therefore, because of what I just said before, you can't serve God and money. You're going to have one master. You're going to either love one or hate him. Because I said that, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. There is a unique feature that comes to those that serve God instead of money. There's something that those that serve God have in addition to those that are just serving their money. And I want you to notice the the expression there. He says, take no thought. Okay, It's just an old English way of saying it. It doesn't mean don't think about it. It literally means don't worry. The New King James says, do not worry. So God's saying, I don't want you to worry about this. Worry is a big part of, of some of your lives, isn't it? 
For some of you, you wouldn't know what to do without worry, okay? Worry is an ever-present aspect in some of your lives. And Jesus says, listen, I want to give something to you. I want to give you something that takes away the need to worry. Those who serve God, those whose master is God, don't have to worry. So let me ask you, how much is it worth not to have to worry? Think about it. If you had to put a value, if you had to put a price on that, how valuable would that be to say, I don't have to worry? Isn't that worth something? Isn't that valuable? Doesn't that have some substance beyond anything that you could possibly do for yourself or to bring in? And God says, I want to just, I want to give that to you. I want to deposit that into your life so that you don't have to worry. Worry is a big part of our lives. We worry about the economy, and we worry about the stock market, and we worry about the weather, and we worry about, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And he says, listen, here's one aspect of your life that I know that you at some time worry about. Everybody here sometimes worries about their finances, okay? If you've never worried about your finances, either either you're still living with your parents or you're lying, okay? Okay, so if you're... if so. Uh, if that's the case, then you know what I mean. You worry about it at times because it, it all comes upon us. So what does Jesus do at this point? He says, all right, listen, I, I want you to decide who do you serve? Who's your master? And then he says, I want to be able to put into your life something that you don't have to worry. And then he goes on and he gives us some common sense examples. He says, let me give you some, let me kind of explain this principle to you. Because immediately when he says, you don't have to worry. We're like, yeah, right. You're God, so you don't worry about anything. But in case you haven't noticed, I'm not God. I'm me. I got lots to worry about. I got lots of bills. I've got lots of needs. I have things to worry about. And God says, hey, let me just kind of, let me back up and, and, and let me give you some examples of why you don't need to worry. And so here's what he says to us here. Verse 26, behold the fowls of the air, that is the birds, They sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Don't don't go past it too quickly. Are ye not much better than they? God feeds the birds. Birds don't have to go out and farm for their food, right? They don't have to go out and and, and say, man, I got to get up today and we've got to go to work, right? Birds don't get up and say, well, we've got to plant some crops and then harvest them. Who takes care of them? God, right? Have you heard about an epidemic of birds worrying about food? I mean, has that been on? Birds today are now, you know, having all these health issues because they're worried about when their next worm is going to come, right? No, they don't, they don't worry about that. They probably never thought about that. They probably never get up and they worry about, oh, am I going to eat today or die? Because God takes care of them. And here's the point that Jesus wants us to get across from there. Don't miss that last line. Who's more important to God? Is it the birds or you? And, and God, who does God care more for? 
You or the birds? Now, think about that question a minute. If, if God gives the birds every day what they need, and, and, and of course they're important to him because they're part of his creation, and you're more valuable to God. See, God never called the birds his children. Jesus never died on the cross for the birds, but he did for you and for me. The Bible doesn't say, for God so loved the birds. Okay? It says, for God so loved the world, you and I, that he gave his only begotten son. So let that sink in. God takes care of the birds, but you're more important to God than them. Then he goes on, verse 27, and he says, which of you by taking thought can add one cubic to his stature? He says, who of you by worry, you're worrying about where your food's going to come, which of you can add to his stature? Now understand that he's not talking here about your height. I mean, that doesn't even make any sense, right? You know, I, I, I should be taller. You know, God, I'm worried I need to be taller. You know, nobody, I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. That's not what he's talking about here. When he talks about stature, he's not talking about how, how the length of your, of your body. He's talking about the length of your life, how long you live. The ESV says this, translates it, can add a single hour to his span of life. Does worry add to your life? No, but it certainly can reduce your life, right? I've never heard anybody say, I'm worrying because I want to live longer. But worrying can cause all sorts of other physiological developments in our life. It can cause you know, high blood pressure and anxiety and, and sleeplessness and, and insecurity and all these different things can be precipitated because we're worried. We're worried about whether I'll have what I need. And so Jesus says, listen, is worrying about that? How's that working for you? How has that helped you? You're worried about it. Did it make things better? And if we're honest... Worried about it never made anything better, does it? I never made any better in my life worrying about it. You know, it gave me a headache, a stomach ache, and then in the end it was what it was. Didn't change it, didn't make it better. So he says, What good is that? And then he goes on and he says in verse 28, And why take ye thought, or why are you worried about raiment or what you're wearing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil, neither do they spin. Is your clothing more important to God than the flowers that cover the roadside? Of course they are. Of course it is. Will worry produce a new wardrobe for you? You know, parents, sometimes, you know, we have, to, we, we have to worry about that, or we think we do. Kids need shoes. You know, when they're, when they're teenagers, they kind of hit that growth spurt, and they just like, like, man, I just bought you some shoes. You know, you've just grown out of it. Stop! You know, and they kind of grow out of it, and, is, and uh, you know, you can only hand them down so much. And then as a parent, you wonder, where am I going to get this? And God says, wait a minute, 
You ever notice the field, how flowers grow up and are so prolific and beautiful? They're not worried. They're not stressed. And if God cares about the flowers along the roadside, don't you think you're more important to Him than those flowers? You ever see what happened to those flowers when the lawnmower comes? <laughs> yeah, you're more important. And that's what He's trying to get across to us, that we don't have to to worry about that. And so he kind of summarizes all this, if we kind of jump down to verse 31, and he summarizes it for us by saying this, therefore, because of all these examples that I gave you and the reasons that I gave you, take no thought, don't worry, saying what we shall eat or what we shall drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed. Now, he's not saying that we shouldn't do anything to take care of those things. We shouldn't do anything about eating. I'm just sit here and I'll wait for it to appear. It's not saying that. Or, or to drink. I need some water. I just, you know, hope it rains. Uh, you know, or clothes. I hope something happens. He's saying, don't worry about those things. Now, now for us, we don't tend to worry about that like they would do during the first century. First century, you, you were lucky if you had one set of clothes. I challenge you, go home and look in your closet and tell me what you got. Isn't it amazing? We, we go, I have nothing to wear. And we've got a closet full of clothes. There's nothing to wear, right? We say that. And so we don't tend to worry, or there's nothing to eat. There's a refrigerator full of stuff. What we're saying is, I don't want to eat that. <laughs> okay? That's what we're saying. I don't want to wear that. But we, we don't have that same type of situation. But we do have worries. So Jesus says, therefore, because of what I said, those who make God their master instead of their money can eliminate worry. Think about it. You can go into 2019 and eliminate worrying about your finances. Worry. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be incredible? Wouldn't that be a great thing not to have to worry? So they say, well, how do we do that? How do we get to that place where, where we're not worrying about it? <laughs> and it's amazing. The Bible, is, if you just read it, 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 it gives the question and it gives the answer. And so here's the answer here. We go on down to, to verse uh, 32. And he says this, for all those things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all of them. Now get this, those that serve money and those that serve God need the same thing. Okay? It isn't like, hey, I don't need that. Yeah, you need that. You need it. Those that don't know God need it. We're all human, and because we live on this rock, we all have these same needs. And so both those that know God and those that don't know God both have the same needs. But here's the difference. God knows what we need, and He cares about us. Get that. He knows what you need. 
He's aware of the situation that you find yourself in right now. God, I guess you didn't realize it that I guess I don't have enough to do. Yeah, I I know that. God's aware of that. But more than just being aware of that, he actually cares about you. Does your money care about you? Care about you? You probably where you work, they don't really care about your finances. They're like, hey, you come in and you work and you do, do your job and you put in the time and we give you the money. But we're really, it really can't be said we really care about what's going on with your finances and you. But God says, I do care about you. So why, think about this, common sense, why would we limit our account balance to only the money that we put into it? I mean, does that make common sense when we have the opportunity for God to deposit something into it? It doesn't make any sense, does it? And yet, we'll leave God out of our finances. And you know what happens when you leave God out of your finances? You get worry. Worry. God says, if you add me, you'll subtract worry. That, that sounds like a pretty good deal, doesn't it? I get to add God and he'll take away the worry. Sounds like a, a good, com- I mean, common sense. Why wouldn't we do that? And, and how do we do it? Well, we have to either be serving God or money. So here's the big, here's kind of the big question that we throw up at this point, And it's simply this. How do you know if you're serving God or money? That's important. Because are you serving God? Oh, yeah, I'm serving God. Pastor, look, I'm in church, so I must be serving God. Eh, Wrong answer. How do you know if you are serving God or serving money? Because I dare say some of you are going to tell me, you know, you're going to look at me right now and say, I'm serving God, Pastor. And I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not God, but if God were to look at you, he'd said, no, you're not. You're serving money. But you think you're serving God. So what do we do? Well, again, Bible is just great because the Bible then just, just goes right for it and answers that question for it. And so look at the next verse there. And here's what he says. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness... And all these things shall be added unto you. Notice how God defines what it means to be serving God. Here's the definition of serving God. Serving God is not the definition that you put to it. God, I come to church. God, I think about you. And God, I read my Bible. You know, blah, blah, blah. God says, no, here's, here's the definition that I mean of serving God instead of money. Okay. It's not your good intentions. It's not just because you're saved. And here's what he tells us. It's making, it's it's when you make pursuing God's kingdom and righteousness your priority. So let me ask you, is making God's righteousness and pursuing God's kingdom, is that the priority in your life? What is the priority in your life? Is it making money? Is it having fun? 
Is it your family? I mean, none of those things are bad things. Okay, I'm not saying don't do any of those things. Those are fine to have as part of your life. But the, the question is, is it a priority? What do we mean by priority? A priority is this. A priority is what comes first. It is what you do if you don't do anything else. It is what gets your attention above everything else. It's not just what is important. It is what is the most important. Now, you can tell me God is your priority, but if he doesn't come first, if he isn't what you put first above everything else, then he's not your priority. In many instances, if we are painfully honest with ourselves this morning, the priority in your life is you. You come before everybody else and anything else. You. I hate to tell you, but you make a very lousy God. (laughs) I hate to tell you, but money makes a very lousy God. Only God can do what God can do. Only God. And so... Here are the priorities that he says that need to be in our life. Two things that he puts forth. He says, I want you to pursue, first of all, the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is God's plan. It's God's plan for your life, his kingdom. It is about advancing the gospel. It is about seeing people that come into his kingdom through his church. It's about doing whatever it takes to reach them. God's kingdom. God wants you to advance his kingdom. What are you doing to advance the kingdom of God? Just thinking positive thoughts doesn't advance the kingdom of God. Just sitting in church doesn't advance the kingdom of God. What are you doing to advance his kingdom. His kingdom isn't just this little realm here, but God wants to be king of all the earth, everywhere. What are you and I doing to advance that kingdom? Is that a priority in your life? Do you even care about that? God says, if you want what I have to give you, then I want you to make first. I want you to seek first not second, not third, not when you get around to it, not when it's convenient, but above everything else. If you don't get anything else done, this is the two things I want you to do. If you don't do anything else today, you've had those days, right? That you say, what did you do today? Nothing. Got nothing done. So God says, here's the priority. If you don't get anything else done, here's the two things that you need to do. I want you to advance my kingdom. That's his plan. And then secondly, he says here, I want you to seek his righteousness. That's his purpose. And the purpose is he wants you to become like Jesus. Are you becoming like Jesus? What are you doing to become more like Jesus? That's that's what he wants. That's his plan. He wants to expand his kingdom by bringing people in. And he wants you to become more and more like Christ. 
These things don't just happen automatically. They don't just happen because we, we think about it. Becoming like Christ means that we embrace his values. What did Jesus say when he left us? He says, listen, I'm giving you a new commandment. New commandment. Yeah, there were, you heard about the Ten Commandments. You heard about all the commandments in the New Testament. I'm going to give you a new commandment. That you love one another as I've loved you. On the surface, that doesn't seem too ominous. But if you look around to the people that he's called you to love, mm, it's going to take divine work for that to happen. <laughs> so, is the priority in your life to advance his kingdom and to become like him? Not to be more like you, not to be the person you want to be, but to be like Jesus. Do you seek to advance his kingdom? Is that the priority in your life? Because if it is, God wants to deposit into your life something great. Now notice that he says here, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. If we make God our master and we serve him, if we passionately seek to reach the lost and become more like Jesus, then all that we need will be deposited into our account. God says, if you'll make that your priority, if the first thing, the most important thing, if the thing that you do, if you don't do anything else, now he's not saying there aren't other things to do. He's not saying quit your job and sit on your hand, sit in a circle, hold hands and sing kumbaya. He's not saying to do any of that. But he's saying in the course of doing all that you're doing, First, seek God in his righteousness and his kingdom because then God wants to add, wants to deposit into your life all that you need. Makes a promise. If you will seek him first, if you make him your master, he says, I will make sure that everything that you need, just like I take care of the birds, just like I'm control of your life, just like as I make the grass and flowers grow, I'm going to take care of you and what you need. All of us have needs. Making God your master doesn't mean that you don't have any more needs. We still have needs. But as God becomes our master, you know what he gives us? Peace. Like, God, I don't know how you're going to do it because you're God. But I don't have to worry. You got this. You promised you'll take care of me. You promised that what I need, not what I want, but what I need, I will always have. Because you know what it is. You know what I need. And you not only know what I need, you actually care about me. You love me. What a great truth. So let me ask you, what is your account balance? How much do you have? 
If you have God in your life, if you're seeking his kingdom and righteousness, you have more than you need. You are blessed beyond measure. Incredibly blessed. Because God wants to deposit into your life all that you need. So let's put these principles into practice. What do, you, what do we need to do as we leave this place this morning, as we file out and we go into our life? What is it that we need to do with this, this, this truth that Jesus has, has handed down to us to, to actually put it into practice in your life this week, this day, as we go forth? And so I want to talk about it. There are two things that you need to do. You're moved this morning to do that. And I can kind of summarize them in a, pl- in a way of a question. First of all, you need to ask the question, what are you doing to bring others to Christ? What are you doing? Well, I'm in church. Well, that's how many people came with you today? Well, nobody. Well, what, what are you going to do this week to help bring people to Christ? So I don't know. Well, that's a good place to begin to, to admit that. And then to, to start finding answers to that. What are you doing? What did you do this past week to bring somebody to Christ? Well, Pastor, you understand, I was busy. You know, this was New Year's. There's a lot of celebrating to go on and, and things, you know, parties and, and, and family and things. You don't, I, I get that. But somehow I don't really think that's going to hold up to God. The second question that you have to ask yourself is simply this. What are you doing to become more like Christ? What do you do to become more like Jesus? You're like, all right, I want to be like Jesus. Uh, You know, no. What steps are you doing day by day to become more like Jesus? Do you read your Bible? Do you pray? Are you part of a grow group? Are you being discipled by somebody? I mean, what what are you doing to be like Jesus? Do you even know what that means? That doesn't mean that you just, you know, you wear, you know, grow a beard and you wear a robe and you do the pose. You know, that's not what it means to be like Jesus. You see, this principle that Jesus gives us only helps if we put it to use, if we only apply it. You see, the great thing about this principle is that even though you may have made some financial mistakes last year, this year can be different. This year, things can change. Okay? Now, I'm not here giving you this, 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 this lie that goes forth of the devil in many churches that says, you know, if you give God $100, he'll give you $1,000. Okay? That's just, you know, you, 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 know, you, you give me $1,000 and God will give you $10,000. That's, that's ridiculous. That's just voodoo religion. That's not Bible religion. What Jesus will give you He's going to give you peace. He's going to take away that worry that you have. He's going to deposit into your account everything that you need. So again, let me ask you, what is the balance in your account? 
The one thing that people here need more than anything else, more than money, is God. I know you think the biggest need in your life is, is, to, is to have money for your retirement or money to pay your bills or money for a kid or money for a car or whatever. I, think, I know you think that's the biggest need that you have, but your biggest need is God. Because here's what I know, and I'm closing with this. One day, all of us are going to have a heavenly audit. Okay? The Bible says one day the books are going to be open. One day God's going to look at the account of your life. And he's going to look at what is in your account. So let me ask you, when he looks into the life of your account, what is he going to find there is the balance? What's going to be there? What is going to be the sum total there? Will it be enough? I'm here to tell you that your sin debt is so astronomical that you can never overcome it. It's like being on these high-interest credit cards and just making the minimum payment, and you never get out of it. It's worse than that. It's worse than going to the loan shark. you got a sin debt that's so enormous, no matter what you put into it, it'll never be enough. The only hope that you have, the only hope that I have is that Jesus makes a deposit into that account to reconcile it. And thankfully, 2,000 years ago, that's exactly what he tried to do. He died on the cross and he bore your sins and my sins. And on the third day, he rose again to say, I paid it in full. And now this morning, he asked, will you accept that? Will you allow him to deposit that into your account? Or are you just going to stick with what you think you have? Because I can tell you, your church and your ritual and your good works and your good intentions and your prayers and your baptism and your communion and all the things that you do that you think somehow adds to it, adds nothing to your account when it comes to your sin debt. Only Jesus. Would you let him come into your life today? Christian, would you allow him to be the one that deposits into your life, into your account, all that you need? Father, thank you for these words, for the scripture, how plain it is for us here. God, even though we don't think of it, we are incredibly rich. We are wealthy beyond compare because of you. And so this morning, I pray that you would speak to our hearts as we consider this message. May today, Lord, we open our hearts and allow you to deposit your grace and salvation to our life. Lord, if we're believers, may we start to put you first by seeking to bring others to Christ and by seeking to become more like Christ. In your holy name, I ask it. Amen.